Hello, GM, GM, and welcome to another episode of the Dead NFT Artist Society. I'm your host, Meta David E. On today's episode, we have Andre Decolai, a Brazilian artist based out of London. Andre talks about his roots as a street artist, his interest in art history, and his journey in Web3. But first, a word from our sponsors. Dead NFT Artist Society is proudly brought to you by NFT Champ, a company out of Southern California that creates custom displays for your rarest NFTs at an affordable price. They print your NFT and frame it in a 4x4-inch acrylic display. Simply provide your OpenSea link and they'll pull your image, rank, address, and generate a scannable QR code to OpenSea on the back of the display. These are perfect for NFT collectors or projects looking to hold a physical version of their rarest NFT. Shipping is free in the US and they send within 48 hours of purchase. Grab yours today at nftchamp.metadavideth.com and you'll get a discount again. That's nftchamp.metadavideth.com. Ledger is the smartest way to secure your crypto holdings. Its hardware wallets are trusted by over 4 million customers and can secure, manage, and store over 1,800 crypto assets. Using the Ledger Live app, you will have a one-stop shop for your crypto needs. Buy, sell, exchange, and grow your assets with Ledger's partners easily and securely. Head over to ledger.metadavideth.com and take self-custody today. Gemini is a simple, elegant, and secure platform to build your crypto portfolio that allows you to buy your Bitcoin, Ethereum, and crypto instantly. Gemini currently supports over 60 different types of cryptocurrencies and with interest rates at 8.05% APY, it'll give you a leg up on beating inflation. Head over to gemini.metadavideth.com and sign up for Gemini today. Andre Decolife, welcome to the podcast, sir. Yes. Hello. Hi, Meta David. Long time. Yeah, it, it has been a while. Um, we've been together since the beginning. Um, I'm a huge fan of yours. You know that. And I think uh, most of Twitter uh, knows that crypto Twitter. Um, you've grown leaps and bounds since uh, I saw you first start starting with a floor price of around 0.007 ETH. And I think uh, I saw one of your collections had a floor price of 42 ETH. So um quite a big leap there so i'm excited to have you really wanted to uh talk about uh your amazing journey um and provide people with that narrative so why don't you kick it off with telling us about yourself yes thank you for the support since day one but yes my name is andre i signed deco life and i'm an artist i do multiple disciplines of of art basically my my whole life I'm 31 and I moved from Brazil a few countries before I get to London where I'm based now and just love traveling, learning new things, meeting people, doing different arts. I'm not an academic artist, but I have a big interest in learning art history. I've been visiting as many museums as I can in the, every country I visit. And I think they all reflect back to what I do and the person who I am. So you've done this amazing job of marrying street art. I mean, I would consider you a street artist and also your knowledge of art history as well. Uh, you have a collection, actually, the uh, Deco Life Museum, which is largely your style uh inspired by various artists whether it's picasso dolly um you have an andy warhol piece out there uh how much of it how much of a challenge is it to kind of just blend those two things because i think for a lot of us on the outside there's a big dichotomy meaning that they they're very different street art and also like you know what you would consider traditional art how do you marry those two worlds together um yes i i do have um uh, i do street art since around um i think 2001 2002 i started as a kid 
And at the time, it wasn't street art. It was just drawing on, on big walls. We wanted to have this feeling of um, exposing our our message on walls. And usually was in the school, which later we got in trouble with me and some other kids. But that is what I think was the beginning of my street art journey, where I was supposed to give up according to you know what people was telling me at the time and even later with police and all the troubles that came but I always kept sticking to that same principles and trying to keep it um my identity and as as original as possible at some point it was anonymous as well but it is what I think the art of our times since the 80s is you know, the art that has mostly grown and occupying the space of what the art world is all about and how it in, impacted in the art world in general. So it was um, inevitable when I decided to join NFTs to bring all the references I have from the early days to what I think now and other experiences that I got along the way. And as I always been visiting, reading books and learning about art, visiting the best museums around, it was just like um, putting all my sketches together as I, I would consider them before, like through the years as a, just a sketches and memories and having the first impression looking at the, at the pieces. And there would never really be a final piece of art, you know, because I have my identity I would not mix that with um, with a Picasso, you know. Like I said, no, we live in different times. We have different ideas. We, you know, I f I started after he was already dead, so I can just learn from him and do my own thing. So I would not consider a recreation of one of his pieces to be something I would even put my signature on. But then I just realized that one of the constant I had in my whole life. It's just recreating these pieces of the museums. You know, and they are part of who I am and they are part of how I make my decisions. And as in the NFT, I just wanted to tell the story, tell who I am and also try to educate people around, share what I know and the lessons I have learned. And it was the perfect match putting the masters that I do know shape the world that we live now with my personal touch considering my short life experience and just give something new pack them out together and give a new life to all of them which is in the using the technology we have available in our times that none of those master had at their time so i think the perfect way of doing the best in the conditions i have with what we have in hands to to access. And the DecoLife Museum is all about that. It's about trying to educate, inform people, keeping connected with the artists that I like very much. And I still try to get as much in insight as I can in the life and what they did and how they, they impact the world. And you know, it's also part of me and my journey and I'm glad and proud of putting my signature almost in a kind of unauthorized, an unofficial collaboration with the old masters of the past. What I'm hearing sounds like it's not a derivative of those pieces at all. It's part of your identity because these artists um, are ones that inspired you and are, you know, part of who you are as an artist and you're just expressing yourself as an artist uh, through this medium. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, yes, 100%. This is a, a what not only me as an individual, but the whole artwork that I consider I'm writing a page in, in, in the book, you know, mm -hmm. is the the where we came from. We cannot deny the past. We cannot leave them behind. And they are also the main reason that motivate me to get out of bed every day and continue doing what I do is the artists of the past that I feel I'm adding my own 
part in, in the same history that they participated to. I jumped a little bit ahead with the uh, Deco Life Music. We're going to get back to the collections in a little bit. But one thing I did want to ask about is that you're you were a successful artist in real life, and then you made a transition into the NFT space. What inspired you to make that transition? How did that transition overall go to you? Now, maybe transition's not the best word because transition almost implies that you left the traditional world, which you haven't done. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm just kind of curious, uh, how did that, you know, what inspired you, what got you to pull the trigger, take the red pill and how did that journey go for you? Um, were there any times that, you know, you're like, you know what, this isn't for me, this sucks. Um, or has it been like smooth sailing ever since, you know, from day one or what were kind of some of the learnings you've had? I've noticed I've thrown a lot out there at you, but. Uh, would love to hear your perspective on a what what got you into it and b just how things were how, how things went for you and how things are going yes um yes yeah, as, as you said transition is not really you know what i did but same as i started as a kid drawing on paper painting and then went to uh, you know like writing on the walls of the school drawing on the desks of that it's all learning new new mediums for me. It's new tools, and I don't leave them behind. I just go embracing more, and just doing trying to learn. And what I did through the years was just learning new techniques. Where I started doing mosaics, where I started doing collage on paper, where I started doing um, doing masks, doing plaster doing other mediums like sculpture working with wood as well and oil watercolor just learning new techniques and medium that in a way i even like the most modern ones that i can feel they are the 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 ones that people of the past didn't have and now it's in our hands to do the most we can and explore them so joining the NFT space is something that I could have done maybe two years ago that when I started doing during the uh, thing 2020 was when I first knew that there is this platforms that you can uh, I would say post digital art and sell them and with a digital money that's the view I had and what I heard in, in 2020. And I was okay with that. Just said, okay, cool. Net, uh, just another platform where people can put their art and, and sell. But me, I don't do digital art. So, you know, it's not for me. And I'm also not interested in, in digital money, you know, like I live in a real world. And then stayed a bit like that. But around that same time, visiting some galleries in London, I saw and I heard about Damien Hurst, the currency that was getting around and was these non-forgeable tokens. And I wanted to know a bit more. And then I linked, the, I realized that was the same thing about the digital. And then I saw, but that's a physical art, it's not digital. But then they can choose the digital. I got a bit confused and I just decided to go home and start doing my own research on that, go a bit deeper into that. And then was when I started, was the first time I entered in NFT marketplaces. I started learning about wallet and other cryptocurrencies and slowly finding articles and understanding the impact they are having in the world. But at the same time, I was also exhibiting my art, including a few different countries at the time and had a... Um, exhibition in Greece that same year, like physical, like sculptures and that. And I was still considering that digital art is below what I was doing and what I had achieved at the time, considering that I was over 10 years working with art galleries in, in few different places. And I said, okay, cool. You know, that is this for emerging artists. That's fine. Damon Hurst, you know, is a money grabber. He will jump in anything that will give him his paycheck but not not me you know i want to move forward 
and then passed, I think, another month or maybe a year that when I bumped again into NFTs and one of ones and I started hearing and this type of communities and projects was the first time when I heard about um, just people getting together and supporting each other. And I said, okay, we do that on, on, on Instagram. I did that on Flickr, like uh, 10, 15 years ago, you know, it's just, just platform where people can expand their contact. That is, is totally okay. But what I'm doing now, I'm quite comfortable and confident in proceeding with what I do with my canvases pieces taking parts in art fairs and solo exhibition, group exhibition. But was again, that's, you know, like just researching around, I was trying to keep open-minded. And then I started understanding that what non-fungible tokens really means, not, uh, not about the art side, because I will look at the art and say, okay, this art is good, but not as, as impactful as it would be if it was on a canvas hanging you know, in a, in an art gallery in central London. I don't know why they they paid that price for it, but was just trying to keep open-minded as I wanted to do the art of our times. And I want to do the best we can in the conditions we have in the, with what we have in hand. I just slightly considered, I said, okay, if I would do one, what would it be about? And then I said, okay, it will be about my, my life journey. It will be about um things that I like and then but I said but I'm not doing digital no I said I never did any digital art project it's not don't want to relearn that I'm comfortable with canvas I have some achievement with that and I was even being a bit proud in a way and even you know like the not very confident in the power of of web3 and then I think during 20. 21 was when I started, I really accept this so that I understand now, I see the impact it is having. And if I don't join now, I would need to join a couple of years. And I don't want to stay behind, you know, I want to continue proceeding and writing new pages in my own, my own history. And this when I also found Gary V videos, started listening to like his point of view and how excited he is talking about and I started seeing other people uh, that I was already following on web 2 media platforms that talking about it but no one was really uh, even brave in a way I spoke about with two other artists I said oh let's do a project together you know collaboration one collection and no one really wanted to to join and people were a bit reluctant with that same as I was and I tried to explain it a little bit and then I even started almost losing some friendships because of my annoying then saying oh let's do let's do let's do and no one really wanted to do and then at some point I just realized I said you know what I don't care I will do myself I will jump in the space I'll go out in so I don't don't want to even meet people before that I just want to put the full collection in and see how it goes, but not, not about the sales. I just want to say, I want to connect people. I want people who can connect to my art. I never really wanted them to be understood. I said, I would do my distortions or my abstractions and people will come with questions. I said, I'm not even maybe answering them. I just wanted to be accepted. I said, if I get accepted and then I will build from there. That was my main idea. So, and then, yeah, just turn my back, even put, put down some of the physical projects I was about to do at the time and started with the iPad, took the iPad and did my first, my first JPEG. I was happy with that. I look at it. I did all in one layer, didn't change the size of brushes, didn't use eraser, didn't didn't do zoom, didn't zoom in, zoom out, didn't know anything of that. I just treated it as a, as a piece of paper, as a piece, as a canvas and was happy of that. I knew it was not my, my best creation. I look at, at the canvas as I was doing at the same time also, as I usually work in multiple, multiple works. 
And just to say, okay, it's not as good as that, but this is something that is is modern. It's something that is the 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 art of our times, as I as I like to call. And I was happy with that. I said, this is my play, my 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 take on that, you know. And then after, I just created more, and I started enjoying learning how to how to use. And my first drop, I knew that would be very visible in a way, clear that the first ones technically is not as 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 advanced as as the other ones. And I I consider saying, okay, I can either go create now that I feel more comfortable. I know how to do layers. I know how to change the size of the brushes. And I started all over again, or I do a collection that will reflect my my even my progress in, in art. And as an art lover, I know that the early works of the artists most of the time are the most interesting ones, you know, are the ones that mostly even get get sold better, is the rare ones that go to museums, is the ones that the artists are truly themselves doing for, you know, just when the first steps. And I knew that I said, okay, I will do the collection that is about my progress in learning how to create digital art. I will tell my own stories. I will use elements and objects that are part of my day-to-day -day life, things that I do. And yes, and then I, when I realized I had 200 of them, I had 200 pieces that I said, okay, now is enough. <laughs> and yeah, it was just googling how to mint and put them up set a discord and just in my way it was just wait until people start accepting what i do and thanks to you know a lot of people including yourself that were there to give support to people who didn't know much about the space but was just embraced well well received i felt very well well very welcomed by the by the people and motivated and just continue and now you know just just growing from there including from you are one of them as well from day one on the discord i was giving away the free nft just for for who was around i think i gave 11 on on the first day just asking okay choose any from the 200 you know like i knew they would not be about the pay I was selling then as 0 0.007, as you say, including works that I worked for, for days or even a week on them. I knew that was not paying the price financially, but I was fully aware about the future and that's the direction I would go. And my main aim was to be received. I felt received and then just slowly we went increasing prices where, you know, as the last sale at the DecoLife collection was half if. Do you have any regrets about your approach in terms of dropping 200, like you said, in one shot? Or do you think that was like a, a good tactic? I mean, what's your take in hindsight? Like, you know, um, would you go back and do it differently? Or do you think that was effective for you? Um. I don't regret, I have zero regret, including for anything else in life. I feel that everything is a lesson and we do and we you know, do the most we, we can. I do have things that I tell artists to do different as people said, okay, you inspire me, let me follow your step. I said, oh, wait a little bit, you know, don't do that. Because in a way I do understand more now about supply and demand and all of that where artists doesn't really want to touch and that doesn't want to even pay attention to this we as an artist we just want to create put it there and wait the sale to come and you know just continue creating even if sales doesn't come and this is in a way it's quite kind of bad in the space as this word scarcity which i don't like but they are part of how, how we play the game, you know? And I, if someone asked my opinion, I give, I said, okay, we don't do that many, go put in slowly, go increase prices. And I also advise not to give 
that many for free as I did. The low prices kept, attracted good number of collectors around, but also at the same time, when I wanted to increase floor prices from primary, these early buyers start listing in a very low price, profiting like 0.002, and they were happy with that. And in a way, they were holding back the collection of uh, moving forward. But once the early buyers who wanted to sell sold that like 0.03 floor, they were all happy. I was happy. And then from that, I think it was just very quick to go up to you know, higher prices that, and then when we got sold out and every other drop that I do gets also sold in, in, in a short period of time, including with prices going up, I think this is all um, a consequence of just being consistent and believing in it and having good collector base and also having many secondary sales. I do understand now and I see how important they are on the long term, while most of the artists including myself when i joined the space i would criticize someone who is doing a secondary sale i said no you don't like my art why are you reselling it you know you should not do that but then i do learn about the the importance of that and thanks to web3 having the provenance that including the first buyer will be always attached to that art you know even if the person doesn't own that anymore it is very nice and fun to look back and see who won that piece previously including you know, some of the people that I even possibly even criticized before I said, oh, it's nice to see the person is still attached to date or the person will always be the first buyer. doesn't matter how much the price will be, but say, no, this person paid 0.007 and, you know, now is this many, but this person, you know, in a way is, is forever part of the history, my history and the history of the piece. Yeah, that's an interesting take about the provenance and being able to go back and see who uh, purchased it first and the different hands that it's gone through um, and seeing maybe if there's any no anyone noteworthy um, uh, as far as like prolific collectors. So that's an interesting take. Also interesting, I think, is, um, is that there's this perception within the PFP world that uh, the first ones that come in are you've got a mix of people that are in it for the long term, but inevitably with a collection drop of like say five to ten thousand, you have people that are in in just to flip. Um, and it seemed like you touched a little bit on that that you had some of those too from the get go that might have received the piece for free uh, or close to free, and uh, you know they ended ended up flipping it for like 0.01 profit or maybe even less than that. They're pretty content with that, but very similar to a PFP project, they call them paper hands. Those people got cleared out, um, yeah. and then you've got you know the diamond hand holders that um, are holding onto it in the long term. And like you said and alluded to, you I think want a combination of you don't want paper hands uh, like you know, very, very thin paper hands. But I think as a artist, you probably want, you know, diamond handers. Yes. But you also want people that are going to support those secondary sales at the right price, of course, not just, you know, just to have something below your floor price that you want to uh, see just because when um, as an, another collector looking at the collection, and seeing that natural price discovery, that natural appreciation value that, you know, other people are valuing it, you know, at 0.1 ETH more, 0.2 ETH more. I think that ultimately ends up benefiting the artist because uh, that's, you know, like I said, it's just natural price discovery that's happening very organically. It's not artificial. It's not, you know, a group of diamond handers getting together and say, hey, you know, we're going to declare that this is a 5 ETH. Uh, collection and we're going to stay that way and we're going to hope that someone comes in and you know is willing to pay that uh, just because at the end of the day um, you know peace is only worth what people are willing to pay for it so you have to kind of see that natural uh, price increase so yeah you articulated th those points really well there so um, one thing I've noticed is that um, and not as a hard rule but there seems to be almost like a camp of uh, one to one artists and PFP collectors. And like, it's almost like taboo uh, for those worlds to kind of collide. 
um, in some ways you just have to be in one camp or another and, you know, they don't get along, let's say. Um, you as an artist, though, um, you are a PFP, like you have PFP, you know, tokens within your uh, uh, within your vault. Um, so it's not something that you've shied away from in the least bit. So I just want to hear your perspective as to like, um, is it okay? I mean, clearly you think it is okay to straddle both worlds. Uh, what are some of the uh, things that you like about PFPs? Uh, what got you into it? Uh, just kind of want to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah, I think it's the, I mean, for the, for the ecosystem, you know, for the new reality, the more time passes, the more even abducted into Web3 I am and how I start giving up parts of my day-to-day -day life, including future plans to the uh, NFT world, which is also Web3, and also spending time in, in different communities and getting to know other people. And this is basically where I am based at the moment. And I want to be part of it and at the same time, I want to give my what I can add to it from my side and also help and support other projects that I do believe in them. And in my, my view, it's just part of the world that it is now, the same as how to live in a, in a real world outside. Okay, so we have the normal tasks that we do on a daily basis including things that we like, things that we don't, but we still need to get along with them and do the most we can with them. And in Web3, as it is, the, my screen time is increasing almost on a daily basis. I'm finding other resources and also this word of utility that we find around and I make them be part of my day-to-day -day life and I see what from this prof from, from PFP of utility can be added to this part of my day, which is the, the biggest part of my day now. And I think that is very much what Web3 is bringing up from the different compared to, to other, other, even other, other webs. And also considering that I'm a big part in physical art and then I kind of got detached from some of art dealers and collectors, including people that collected my own works before. They kind of doesn't don't really support my my journey in in Web three, and I also want to prove them wrong in a way, and I don't want to stay sticking only to one of ones, and leave other PFP on the side or stay choosing sides. I think Web3 is where we can now be united with building and be there for the same purpose that is basically just building the future and doing what no other space was able to do. And I think unifying both maybe is an impossible thing and should not even happen. It's just us understanding and using them for what for what their their purpose are same as reflected in in life there is no right um right or wrong in, like i've been traveling living in a few different countries and cultures and you just realize that people are a very extreme wanting to choose sides for belief system for religion they think they're their food is the best one, their ascent is the best one, and the other ones are not wrong. And I ju we just realized that there is none really, like nothing that is just um, what we can make with them. And the world really progresses once we accept and we respect the differences of each other and manage to get along with them rather than finding ways to bond different beliefs and realities is much more constructive to just respect and accept them and if even supportive is even better and i'm sure 
applying these small principles in large scale, we would even reduce wars and fights and big, big scale. It's just seeing people, you know, doing and say, okay, this is your territory, this is mine. There is no really physical or even digital line boundaries. We are all part of the same reality. And what I have different than yours is this, and you should get along with that. And I think this is, you know, like what I do. But of course, I'm also in for the investment. I'm also in for um, wanting to live full time only from Web3 related activities. And if who anyone who is also aiming that will need to embrace everything that has available because we don't know what the future holds we are building now we are almost placing our bets but we know that pfps and one of ones are basically there for moving the, the the space forward and it's the same intention that everyone has and i don't think we should be you know choosing sides or none of that i don't think it's including like editions like one of one artists doing editions is another taboo as well and or someone who started as a PFP and then changed to one of one or the other way around. I, I don't think we should be, you know, even focusing too much on that because to be honest, the older I get, the more I feel that these discussions doesn't really get anywhere, even applied in, in other aspects of our life. It's just said, okay, this is how it is. What can we do with them? What can they be different than than, than others and how can we move along even if we are so different how can we still be side by side fight, fighting for the same cause including for freedom and I think these are um, is more, more firm ground to stand you know is, is to just respect each other I love how you articulated that and um, extended it to uh, even more avenues there because um I'm with you a hundred percent. Like the two worlds can peacefully coexist. And, you know, I'm similar to you in the sense that, you know, I'm a one-to-one -one collector. I'm also a PFP collector. And I, to me, they serve two different functions. Um, I don't know if functions is the right word, but they just serve two different areas of uh, gratification. One is I just like supporting one-to-one -one art and I just find it aesthetically pleasing. And there's a PFP part of it, which is that um, at the end of the day, uh, there's some big players in that space and I want to support them as well, because ultimately they could also help advance the Web3 movement, which, you know, in the broader scale of things, the same way that you drew the parallels to like countries in the world. Um, I kind of see Web3 as like the world. And, you know, these other things are almost like countries as far as like PFP and um, edition drops, like what you touched on, which I agree completely with you that I think it's perfectly. I mean, an artist is an artist and. The artist gets to dictate how they want to distribute their art. And if they feel like an edition drop is appropriate, by all means, they should drop an edition art, edition uh, drop rather. Um, and I can even say that there's a perfectly valid reason why. One that comes to mind is at a certain point, um, an artist's work might not be uh, affordable by the masses. That might be, you know, triple digit ETH. Uh, but there's collectors that still want to be part of that ecosystem. And is it right? I mean, it's a philosophical question. I mean, different people have different answers to this, but one could say, is it right for those uh, that can't afford like a triple digit ETH uh, to be shut out of that? I mean, you know, there's a school of thought that the answer is no. So do an edition drop of a hundred, a thousand, whatever that number is, or maybe just open edition so that you can have other collectors who want to just come in, but you know, the most that they can spend is maybe 0.1 ETH um, or a little bit more, a little bit less, and just be a part, you know, a collector and just be part of that process. And for the artists, I think that benefits them in terms of expanding their base and being accessible to, you know, people from all quote unquote wallets of life. So um, yeah, I think, I mean, all those things, I mean, they can all coexist. And we talked only about PFP and collectors, uh, I'm sorry, PFP and one-to-one, -one, but we can extend those analogies to generative art, like art that's generated by code. Um, you know, is that art or not art? I tend to think, yeah, I mean, that's art as well. Um, AR, AI generated art, a little bit of a touchy subject for some. I personally think that's art too. Um, I've, you know, played around with some of those prompts myself and 
they're not easy to navigate all the time. Just saying something to the, uh, or not saying something, but, you know, writing something um, and getting the output they expect doesn't happen very often, almost like never. You really have to tinker with it and know exactly what inputs to give it to be able to generate the output that you're expecting. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, those things to me are all art and they should peacefully coexist. And we should kind of focus less on the differences and more just on the broader Web3 uh, narrative and onboarding as many people as possible. And I think the best way to do that is just kind of having something, a little something for everyone. So for some people, it's going to be PFP collections because they want to adopt, uh, you know, as part of their digital identity, um, social uh, social media uh, signaling. And then for some people, it's just going to be, you know, their art inclined and someone like that might be like my wife who doesn't, you know, care about uh, the PFP part or social signaling. Uh, but, she, you know, she just likes art. Uh, and she can relate to that. Uh, so she'll, you know, if she were to get into the NFT space, which she's not quite yet, but I'm hoping she will be soon, um, you know, she's going to gravitate more towards the one-to-one. -one. And for someone like myself, maybe five years from now, if I weren't in the space already, it might be like the AI part of it. I don't know, uh, just because that stuff is really cool to me. So, um, so you talked a little bit, this is kind of an interesting point, uh, going back to something you said uh, a few times um, during the course of a conversation is that you've lost some uh, friendships and connections because of your divergence into uh, NFTs. Have any of those people come back or have you had a chance to go back and tell some of them like, hey, I told you so, or has that happened yet or too soon? No, it did happen straight away. As you know, also on the... In the early days, we saw the one of one to Ja Rule, and mm -hmm. uh, he yeah. tweeted about that. Yeah, I screenshot and started sending to everyone, put on Instagram, and people were saying, "Oh, you got lucky," you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> I, but, but yeah, yeah it was. But that happened like within like the first two weeks, right? Like that's not luck, right? Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. So it was one of these things that said, "Okay, fine," but then at the same time, we were selling at. 0.008 you know so it's still mm -hmm. lost said, okay but you sold to jarul but he paid like 20 bucks okay fine but you know you could spend that time doing um work on canvas that here in this gallery we can sell like for a few thousand and then i said oh no but wait you know we are we're still early we're just at the beginning and then moving from that and also i sent because people unfortunately if i send to them said, okay, look at this art. I never did anything as good as this and this digital, you know, and I send that to someone who bought my previous physical art. I don't think they would be ready to digest that information, you know, because it took a long time for me to accept and will take a long time, I think, to everyone else. But one of the things that we know people do understand is when celebrities get involved or when prices explode, like prices go high. And last month we had the the bear, the Deco Life Bear sale on foundation for at 1.01 ETH. And that's another time that was a big celebration sending back to people who didn't believe in me, also sending to people that were a bit suspicious and for critics. I am I annoy them, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't care. Like I send them screenshots like if i know if someone don't want to receive that they will block me but i i proud i'm a proud dad you know like i achieve something i go celebrate and was something that few people really got said okay fine you know like congratulations but you put five months of work to receive one if you know is that really worth it while you could be doing something else. You know, people will always criticize and find ways, but at the same time, we know we that we are into that. We know the, the meaning and the importance of these little milestones that we go achieving and they are all part of our, our history. Yeah, uh, I love the word that you said, which is weight, uh, because I think that's the operative word right there is the weight part of it. Um, and even now, I mean, it's still way too early, still way too soon. Uh, and uh, that one ETH, I mean, we could talk about like numbers, but that one ETH is going to be worth a lot more uh, than it is right now uh, in a few years. Uh, but also in terms of being denominated in ETH, 
Um, as you continue to have more work, um, you have more collectors coming in, higher demand and uh, supply and demand, like you said earlier, those prices will naturally keep going up. And uh, the nice thing is, is for example, I'm based here in the US as is Jaw Rule. You're based in the UK all the way on the other side of the ocean. Uh, in an ordinary world without Web3, like you and I probably would have never crossed paths. Jaw Rule and you would have never crossed paths. Uh, so just having that worldwide audience um, that's able to look at your art, enjoy your art, and then be able to purchase it at their convenience. And you're able to push it out at your convenience. And that can happen at any time of day. And you don't necessarily have to be positioned in an art gallery talking to people about your art piece. I, I think there's just so many different things uh, and uh, scenarios that uh, the superiority of Web3 addresses. I, to me, like the the art is like the best use case right now in terms of uh, NFTs um, and one that I don't think is going to go away. There's some use cases which I'm a little iffy about if they have like staying power, but Art, I think, solves so many different problems for, not that I've lived the life of an artist, but just kind of looking at it from the outside, solves so many different problems for artists that it's still too soon. And I think for those that are the pioneers like yourself are, uh, you know, the whales of the future and the mint, uh, being minted right now. So hats off to you for uh, taking the leap and kind of just putting the blinders on um, and willing to maybe sever some connections and friendships and just kind of sticking with it and then um you know going back and you know gloating a little bit about some of the successes that you've had so far and um no doubt there will be more in the future um so let's go into your collections a little bit here that we've talked almost about i mean we've talked a little bit about all of them at very briefly we've touched on them but uh the very first collection was the deco life one i think it's just called the deco life collection right yes Yes, that's my first drop where the first mint was 200 and is where I have, where I consider that is my main collection, not because of the genesis aspect of it, but it's more, is my personal, is where I tell my story, is where I express mostly my feelings and is where I also base my abstract pieces as I consider them being my best identity with the lions and my best voice in art in general, not only in the NFT space. And that is where um, I do spend most of the time looking at and trying to find ways to move forward with that. And then we have the museum collection where we touched earlier is my reinterpretation of masters that have a personal importance to me and also to art history and the foundation which is called the deco life on fire where is the pieces that i usually cannot stop while creating i keep adding details into them i keep overworking them in a way that they don't really fit on the other two collections. And we also have the White Lion Key collection, which is um, a, a 20, which is I call them the, the token, which is a collection of 20 White Lions that was given to my early supporters. And they have uh, the holders of them will have, do have already access to any private any new piece on a private listing so i mean before i put anything public i always ask any of the 20 white lion holders if they want to have that on a private reservation at the moment we are let's say still <laughs> the, the another word of the of the day we're still early on it but in the future I do believe that will be a very important collection for deco life, including as you touched when prices get very much out of hand and very difficult for new people to join. If you know, as inevitable, this will do will happen to the deco life in the future as prices has been going up, and then my new ones, of course, will always need to be 
keeping the high prices as the collections are going. But then I do have this option, this to go to White Lions and offer them maybe even at a lower prices, depending on how we are. And that I think will be a main collection for the very long run where supply and demand will be very out of hand. And in a view that I have of the future, I will basically be selling my new ones only to white lion holders that, and then the white lion holders can resell at the price they think. But I'm happy when we get out of hand in prices selling for lower for the earlier supporters. But at the same time, some people that did receive the white lions for free six months ago, they also decided to sell that. And because people start understanding and believing and wanting to support and wanting to take part in that. So we do have a new members that, you know, like it's, it's out of my hand to who is the white lion or not. So, and this is what I think is about the, the community. And it's one of the main things I join about Web3 is that, as you said before, the the value of the art is only is, is completely directed to what people are willing to pay. And this, I think, is a very nice thing as I work with galleries where basically the galleries decide the prices. And even if it does if you don't sell, they are still uh stable established enough and even financially independent to keep at high prices just because that's how it is and while in web3 i do find this similarity with with my street art where when i paint on the street it is out of my hand it doesn't belong to me the art anymore it belongs to even to, to the community to the people to to walk that walk by to the locals to um anyone who is just is just outside and I, I do like that aspect including today i was looking at a photo of uh, one of my walls that i painted in south london got repainted on top and i don't really get upset with that considering that this is what happened this is um this is how art outside works this is how the the graffiti um principles that i i came from as well this is how it is. If I would want my art only to be safe and to be protected, I would just keep them at home, not 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 share them. And having them outside means it's not out of my control, including some more other artists. They have their works being removed from the walls, being sold in galleries. And I think this is very interesting as well. And in NFT, I do like this white lion collection as it is. I gave them for free, so no one can complain of the prices they may get in the future because you know who has them will have. But there will not be any other white lion drops as some people ask. And that's where you know I think in the very long run we will be based because I do have many other collections that I want to be bringing up and they will all be first hand to the early white line holders. That was going to be one of my questions that I asked uh, and you answered it. So, and I think that's a lot of uh, question that a lot of people have because there's been a lot of demand for the white line token. So there's 20, that's it. You're not adding any more. Currently the floor price is 42 on that. If someone wants it, they're going to have to uh, shell out 42 ETH or maybe a WETH offer, a WETH offer and see what they can get. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And I'm not feeling guilty if the prices get too out of hand on that, as I said. Yeah, there's a lot of benefits and perks to yeah. that one. So I think, yeah, 100% there with you. Um, so that's just kind of just the, the market deciding the price um, on its own there. So if there's someone out there that wants to pay that much, and that's what it's worth, 100%. Um, so I'm going to ask a couple more questions before we wrap up. One is, uh, I think, a question that a lot of us have. The, so oftentimes in your pieces, there's lions, chess. And I think at least I've seen one Rubik's Cube, or at least you talk a lot about your Rubik's Cube. So I'm going to pick those three because uh, I feel like they're the most common ones. What's the significance of each one of those? 
Let's start with uh let's start from uh let's start with chess. Yeah. Um so yes, they are all part of the Deco Life collection and they are based on my interest in in life and part of who I am. So I played chess as a kid, but then I didn't really proceed with that. But during the first lockdown, early 2020, um, when um, I needed to, I knew what was coming, watching the news and seeing that we just knew that we would spend more time indoors. And I kind of know when I am indoors, even stuck, I will be painting like a, like a maniac, you know, I will be doing a lot and I'm not going to sell or show them because galleries will be closed. And I will be also on a budget issue because I'm not going to be earning and I will be still consuming and buying, you know, like supply for creating. So I needed to find ways of keeping myself busy while still being creative and just continue exploring as this is what I do. And chess came in hand also as my wife played and she, you know, like we were talking about it, and then she got aboard, which I was very happy. And then we just start playing. And then I start just playing online, learning, reading books, and became part of how even my brain developed during that time. And I still, to this day, after these two years, I still play on a daily basis. And I think that you know, is very much applied to how, because I like to reflect how the world works, you know, and see what on a personal level that can be. So having it uh, chess on a daily basis, I said, what will this add to myself? And then I could see improving my decision-making, improving my planning ahead, improvising, and things that I have been doing, you know, my whole life. I can just apply them on the chess game and at the same time learn from chess and apply on my real life. And this is what, you know, really got me. And I'm all, all, all into that as well. And the Rubik's Cube is another thing, but the Rubik's, I have been doing that through the years. I started as a young man, as, a, as an early teenager. And I never gave up that and including getting more difficult puzzles, different levels, more squares. And I do think the same about them, how they are a chaotic composition. And people usually consider you finish them when you put all colors in order on the same faces. But I do that. I do know how to do that. But I also have fun just playing with the colors and building patterns and compositions through the Rubik's Cube and in the NFTs, all the Rubik's that I have, which is, is not many, but there are a few, they do have different patterns that are also uh, always based on the real cube that I played with. And before I created them, I did build them on the, um, on the cube itself. And they also have this thing of uh, improving how, how the mind works, how because um, I do have difficulties with attention and focus on things, but when I get something that I can focus on and almost be on an obsessive level into it, I just dive in and I just, you know, get, get, fall in love with it. And some maybe even say like, get, get good, but playing with that, you know, is, and it automatically would sure be part of my collection because this is part of how I work and is who I am. So interesting about the Rubik's Cube because I always thought of it as something to be solved, which I can't solve it, even those basic like three to three by three by three ones. But it seems like you're looking at it from a perspective of something that can be solved and you can solve, but you also look at it as almost like a canvas where you can have like different patterns um, and different geometries involved. Uh, so that's so interesting. So Now's the million dollar question, uh, what you're oftentimes associated with, and sometimes it's your PFP picture, lions. So what's the fascination behind lions? Yes, the lion is um, 
part of my what I call my my identity in the in the art world. But as a kid, I always being in, enjoying going to the circles with with the family and always had these attentional lions and clowns. And then just getting older a bit, I was not that much into circles anymore and was also having you know some thoughts about animals abuse and all of that. But I was still enjoying drawing lions. And I also have an early memory as a kid visiting a museum back in Sao Paulo where there is a lion hunter painting by Edward Mane, who is one of my favorite artists as well. And that I always had that stuck in my mind. And after traveling Europe mostly, still doing my lions, but just adding meaning to it as 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 it goes, you know, as I go evolving myself as a person. I add different meanings to some symbols that I do have in my life. And sometimes I didn't even know what they mean, but I would carry them with me. So with the lions, I added more about other historical pieces that do have lion, including Henry Russell, the, the sleeping gypsy. There is some Hieronymus Bosch with a very interesting lion as well. And then later I found out also that um, there is a 37,000 years old uh, figure with a lion head sculpture that was found in a cave in Germany. Some cave paintings from found in France as well that had lion included. And I always liked them, you know, like wanted to take part in the art history. But the more I look into history and human history, we see this relation to to nature but at the same time was at the the london zoo example looking at the lion and you know like i said okay I, i'm not that much inspired by the animal itself anymore it's more like the symbol that it represents same as in england is one of the the coat of arms you know it's part of it that i see on gates around i see on on the around the, the royal the royal symbols and i think it's more towards symbology of lion that in time mm. evolved including me wanting to put my take on it more than just thinking about that some people said oh, okay this lion nice you i'm also part of the the, the lazy lion community you know? so i'm which is a pfp you know i'm proud part of the roar but you know, it's not much. They do um, give funds to to lions around the world and charities and that. It's fine that, but in my case, some people think that I was connected to that. But no, it's more a thing of um, of identity and symbology. Oh. Very interesting. Uh... So that's good information, some good alpha for our listeners and collectors out there. Um, yeah, uh, as far as the sim symbolic piece of the lions. So I got one more question for you before we wrap up. It's going to sound a little bit like a job interview question, but um, I have to ask it because you've been such a fascinating artist to observe and observing your journey, like we've talked about at that 0.007 ETH mark to all the way to the floor prices that you're up right now. Where do you see the space in five years and how do you see yourself fitting in the space in five years? And not, not, not I don't mean to refer to uh, in terms of denominating it like economically, I just mean more broadly like the vision. Yeah. Um, I won't be too specific on that as five years ago, I could not imagine now and I'm quite happy how things are, you know, like uh, sure. if I would answer this question five years ago, I would probably say something that probably not I sure would say something that's not to do with digital arts, not to do with digital money. It's not to do with trying to build connections with people that live on the other side of the world. So, but now with what I have in hands and what I've been learning and the direction I have been going, my view is of course, to continue creating art as I have been doing you know, since since a child. 
have new collections, new ideas. I want to get more involved in supporting other artists, including I love working with charities and people that are more uh, in need from no, like more and more, like I work with homeless people, including from charities that support when I was in difficult situations, people with learning disability, autism. And I do think I can merge some of these even interests I have with Web3 and NFT and maybe be doing projects with them where is also related to that. And apart from creating new art, will be about utility, trying to learn more what it really means and just adding my thing is always rewarding early supporters is one of the things when I decided before joining, I said, no, whoever, because my thing was finding who believes and who accepts what I have been doing rather than invest. So I just wanted to be accepted, not understood, not people believing or investing, just wanted to be accepted. And I still wanting always to keep in touch with these people that accepted me from the early days, including people that never bought anything from me. They do have some NFTs from me that, you know, I'm very glad about that and very proud of you having very good people around and just continue with that. But in general, I want to see more artists adapting their art, expanding their art would be the right word through the web three spaces, more physical artists expanding and also new artists that maybe never did any art before, even at young age or at more mature people just wanting to expand and experiment and also use the tools, including the ones that I'm not brave enough to use, as you mentioned about AI and some of that. I do respect, accept, and do believe in a lot of them. But, you know, I do have some works that I bought. I invest in some AIs and art blocks. But, you know, like I want to see more people that have a completely different set of mind away from art joining and be working side by side with them. But I also want to be taking steps in educating people through art history and is one of the directions I want to start getting more into in sharing what I know, lessons I have learned because I do feel responsible for doing something about art in the web tree so we don't repeat some mistakes that happened in the past in the art world for, from people that maybe are not very familiar with that. So I do want to share some of the, some some lessons that I learned through museums and, and books. Those, uh, those are, uh, that's very well said there. Um, and I wanna thank you uh, for all your contributions uh, to Web3 uh, because you're not just an artist, but you're also a collector, you're a mentor. Um, and you're doing your part to onboard uh, people outside of the space into the space and just evangelizing it and advocating for it. So thanks for all your contributions and thank you for hopping on the podcast today. Thank you, David. Thank you for all your support and for the space.